going on guys welcome back to network chuck i know i know i'm like 15 minutes late it might be the latest one i've ever had it's jason Gooley's fault and i'm about to blame him i'm about to bring him on but real quick uh welcome to monday how you guys doing today i've got jason Gooley. he's amazing author of like a million books and uh, you know what enough talking let's bring him on right now jason say hi H hello everyone uh <laughs> thank you so much for having me <laughs> so it, it's your fault. I'm just going to blame you for it. Um, you Cisco guys oh. love your WebEx or something, and I tend yeah. to use a Skype. <laughs> Whatever, man. <laughs> we try to get it working, but uh, you know it took a while. But we, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so real quick, guys in the chat, my Discord people, let me know if uh, everything sounds okay. And um, real quick, Jason Gooley, if you don't know who he is, he's the godfather of network programmability. It became kind of a, a funny name that stuck with him because he is the guy now. Um, author of like a million books this year alone. Uh, I, I lost count. What are the books you wrote this year? Oh my gosh. Um, so I have them behind me because in case I forget. Um, no, <laughs> but I, I started off, we did the we did the, uh, the EN Core book towards the end of, I think it came out uh, December 26th. So in a calendar year, of course, or we were fiscal year. Uh, then we did the Cisco SD-WAN book. I did the Cisco SDA book as well as the Cisco DevNet Associate book. Um, and then, you know, if that's not enough, I, I may be on the hook for some videos soon. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. Why didn't you let anybody else write some books? That's, that's just a jerk You know, move, I was Jason. thinking about that, but I was trying to beat Brad. <laughs> you know, it, it, I mean, it's the only way to defeat Brad is to, that's you true. Know, there could be only one. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> I think he might beat me still. <laughs> I oh think my he's goodness. Had seven books. <laughs> like I mean, Cisco months. certainly put the work in for you. I mean, going from just a few certification tracks to like a billion with different little forks and avenues in each one, it's it's insane. <laughs> so yeah. um, I see the workload there. So uh, the, the works you're probably more well known for right now are going to be the DevNet Associate, the Encore, and SD WAN. Those are the hot, buzzworthy things right now. Um, I wanted sure. to get you on and talk about DevNet. SD-WAN, and if we have time, maybe some Encore. Um, but I saw some people already in the chat asking about DevNet. That's been the hot thing this year, obviously, uh, the whole DevNet 500. Right now, people are rushing to get their DevNet associate to get the DevNet class of 2020. Uh, so real quick, dude, what is what is DevNet? <laughs> what is that thing? Dev, DevNet? Uh, if I had to sum it up in one word, future. What do I mean by that? Like We all hear a lot of stuff about DevNet, and I think that you know, when we have these conversations, a lot of times folks are kind of wondering, like, what is this mysterious DevNet? What does it even mean to me? And why should I even care? And so, in my opinion, DevNet is the single one place you can go to learn a whole bunch of different technologies in a programmatic way. Now, that is a very buzzword loaded <laughs> statement that I just said. Uh, it sounds, I mean it sounds like you're writing is, a Cisco book or something. I know. <laughs> ooh, what should we call it? How, how to DevNet. We'll, we'll co-author that. We'll call it How to DevNet. Um, and then we'll make some music videos to go along with it, dude. Like How to <laughs> DevNet, silent auction, you know, put a silent dance. Anyway, um, so in my opinion, DevNet is kind of the place that you go where you want to learn some of this new technology and you're not sure exactly how or where to start. And what's cool about that is you've heard a lot about programmability and automation. Everybody's out there talking about it. It's not just Cisco. And what's important about it is that it is one of those things that really, if you're a network engineer or a network operator or somebody looking to break into that field, it is the type of technology or a type of method to, of technology they can use to make your life easier. Really, in the, the, the grand scheme of things, is to automate some of the mundane make things move a lot faster and hopefully with less error and make your business a little bit more 
stable by using some of these techniques. Now, I have to say, the more I got into automation, I realized that it's been a thing for a long time. Like none of this stuff is like brand, brand new. What right. is new is that we're talking about it a lot now. Why now? You know what? I think I think it's just gotten to the point where we finally realize Cisco's done a good job at this as well. Is just really taking a step back and looking what's going on on the horizon, and we just can't keep up from from a manual intervention perspective and configuring things manually with as many devices that are out on the networks today. It is so hard for oftentimes companies that have one to two, maybe three folks running their global network to be managing and maintaining and configuring all these different devices one at a time. It's just, I think gone, I don't want to say gone are the days because there will always be reasons and needs, a need to do things manually. But I also think that gone are the days of just, you know, going through the status quo of, all right, well, I got to spin up another 500 locations. Let me just dive into my Excel spreadsheet for IP addresses and my crossover <laughs> cable and my council cable and start cracking away on 9,000 devices. Uh, I did that. I went bald. See. Uh, <laughs> That's why DevNet happened. It was your – yeah, okay. That makes it was sense. Literally, it was, it was like Bosby <laughs> DevNet. All right. Well, one will get me paid and one will cost me a lot of money. So I decided to go with the DevNet way. <laughs> that is golden. I love that. That was good. Um. So for a lot of a lot of my audience, um, they come from different realms. Some are just trying to get into IT. Some are starting their network engineering journey. Some are just getting into hacking and stuff. Uh, so just so you guys know, we're talking about network engineering. We're talking about configuring routers and switches and firewalls and all this amazing stuff. But now with the DevNet and the way things are moving, network engineers are having to learn a bit of development, a bit of programming, uh, and to do what Jason's kind of mentioning, automating what we can't do by ourselves. It's getting, like the networks are getting bigger, they're not getting smaller, and they're becoming more complex. Um, so real quick, Jason, I want to ask, because I know this can be one of the most popular questions I have here, is someone who's going for their CCNA right now, starting the network engineering path, how should they look at and approach this new phase of development and everything? Should they jump into DevNet right after? Um, should they start playing with it right now? What, what would you say? So, so that's actually an interesting question. That, do, that does come up quite a bit. And one of the things I think I love about that question is the, we know the typical answer from a design perspective is it depends, but it also applies to this. And the reason being is that when you're going for a certification, I think what, what I really appreciate about the new certifications and how we redid everything in February was that even if you're just going for a CCNA and you're just starting out, by default, going for your CCNA, you will have to learn a percentage of programmability and automation. That's true. So you, you don't necessarily have to say, I'm going to go right down the DevNet path right away. But by studying for the CCNA, there's a 20% of that exam is essentially programmability and automation now. So at some point, you're going to run into it. The so far, the best place is DevNet to start your journey, right? You want to go to DevNet, you want to get started, you want to look at some of these things, you want to practice these different technologies, find out what's on the blueprint, all of that, lab things without worrying about breaking anything. That's where you would start. And it would apply, so the question is kind of reversed there, where it, you can start with DevNet and it'll apply to CCNA, or you start with CCNA and you will find yourself looking into DevNet because you need it for the exam. So. I, I think it's six to one and half a dozen to to the other, but at the same time, it's also it's important to understand why those overlaps exist. And I think that's one of the biggest keys of this, you know topics of discussion is that go, you know we we talk about automation being so important in this day mm -hmm. and age. It's part of even the the most fundamental certification for Cisco now because it's that important. 
And then same thing. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Side for network engineering is, you know, right? So you need to learn network engineering to get your DevNet associate, and it, you will learn that in the process as well. Okay, cool, cool. So now you you mentioned the uh, the DevNet sandbox, which a lot of people don't know about, and they don't know how awesome that thing is because it's not just a place where you can learn development. You can also just mess with Cisco stuff um, if you don't have access to it. Um, so exactly. first of all, I want to know why didn't they secure the devnet.com uh, URL? And second, uh, why is it developer.cisco.com? <laughs> so <laughs> there, there's a there's a couple there's a couple uh, things to that. So devnet.cisco.com uh, used to be the main URL for devnet, and then they and uh, we re- renamed it uh, developer.cisco.com because it's more it's more for I think the the thought process there and and I, and you know just to make sure I'm not over speaking but I'm pretty sure the thought process <laughs> I'm gonna get you in trouble that, watch <laughs> yeah let me squirm here real quick but I, I, I think the thought process behind that was that it's more than just network development right so yes there is a developer network it's a network of humans learning development and on DevNet but it's also more than just programmability directly to a network device because the concepts and things that you learn through DevNet how to integrate you know, different software using APIs, how to even inter- interact with an API, that can apply to a whole bunch of other things that aren't necessarily just network engineering devices. It could be whatever you want it to be, anything you want to monitor. It could be garage door openers, could be thermostats, and it could also be, obviously, the things that run the backbone of the Internet. Right, okay, okay, I, I see the vision there. Now, real quick, I realize I didn't plug any of your stuff just yet, so Jason Gooley, obviously the goat of uh, d- developer stuff like this. Um, he wrote three big books this year, and I, I didn't know you wrote the SDA book as well. So SD-WAN, uh, uh, DevNet, Encore, SDA. Anything else? Am I missing any? Uh, that's this year, yeah, yeah. That's this year. <laughs> Just this year. Oh, and, and that's it, Jay? Come on, dude. You tell me you're going to get on it this year. I'm slacking, man. I'm slacking. Yeah. i got to get with it, man. <laughs> so I've, I've got three of those books in the description if you want to check them out. Um, I will have to add the fourth because I didn't realize you did all that. And how many CCIEs do you have now? I, I stopped at two. Um, uh, I decided there was, there was a work-life again. balance I can't, thing yeah. and not as cool as half the folks out there now. <laughs> Which ones do you have? I have routing and switching and service provider. And, and at some point, once it flips over, it'll be enterprise infrastructure and then service provider. So are you... Are you going to get a chance, or do you do you dare to go and take the new lab for the new stuff? I think it'd be fun. Uh, I just haven't. There's really no opportunity for me to do that unless I just pay for a lab out of pocket. And as much as I, I, I love, I, I, <laughs> I love wanting to do that. At some point, when I recertify, it's just going to rename anyway. So, uh, but but I, I was involved with creating a lot of that lab. So I I can tell you that there's. There's a strategic reason we decided to write the type of books that we wrote when we wrote them. And I think that a lot of that is just the fact that mm. if Cisco makes a line in the sand that says, hey, software-defined access, software-defined WAN, programmability, automation, Ansible, things like that are going to be on these exams. To me, before February 24th came around and we actually dropped those new certifications, it was kind of like, hey, these are going to be necessary very, very, very soon. And um, ah, okay, I, I see. I, I went see. into it with this. I went into it with this whole grand scheme, this grand plan, and the plan was like, "Yeah, man, I'm going to write these books, and we're going to stretch them out over like a year and a half, and I'm going to have like two months off in between each book, and I was going to, it was going to be great." And uh, what ended up happening was, 
it was it was almost time to be February, and they wanted all the books done as fast as humanly possible. So it took a little longer than anticipated, but we pulled in every single project, and uh, we got some really stellar authors on these things, and we we managed to get them all done. I think the, all of them, for the most part, it's kind of interesting. SDA, SD WAN, and DevNet Associate, all for the most part, launched right around August September. My yeah, I, I saw them all just come out at once. I know people are getting antsy about the the DevNet book, which. Uh, I heard is great. I already have my DevNet before it came out. I beat you to it, so whatever, dude. Thanks for the help. I don't even have that. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of a funny story, right? Because that's hilarious. I think we, were, we were all in the uh, anticipating that for helping create these things that that was kind of gonna it was gonna be one of those things, but. It looks like I need to buckle down and actually take this thinking thing. So I will probably be doing that uh, over my Christmas break, maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Excellent. So I, I know a ton of people I see on my Twitter feed are trying to get their DevNet before the end of year because they want that DevNet class of 2020. Real quick in the right. chat, guys, if you're going for your DevNet associate, let us know. And Jason, any any like tips as they're approaching their end of their exam? Now, I'm asking you for tips for an exam you haven't taken yet, but I assume you know a little bit about it just because you wrote yeah. the book on it. Um, any tips on... How, what to do for this exam, how to prepare. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that is that I hear from a lot of candidates is that uh, be open to being out of your comfort zone. And what do I mean by that? This is a programmability exam about network technologies. However, comma, that's a big comma, <laughs> um, you might not necessarily spend a lot of time on data center or you might not spend a lot of time on security appliances or routing, depending on where you're coming from, or collaboration, or things of those nature, things of, along those lines, right? So mm. I would say is read through the blueprint, truly understand what's going to be on that exam, uh, and then practice some of the things that you're probably not normally comfortable with practicing. Gotcha, gotcha. We got to read around that, but I think I understand what you're saying there. <laughs> <laughs> as fake as that was, uh, you'll... you'll the blueprint is expansive more so than just routing and switching technologies. Now, I, I want to say this. I know that you know, you're know you a Cisco guy, so if I ask you what your favorite automation tool is, it's going to be DNA Center. Um, so why even waste my time? But I'm going to ask you anyway. Cisco DNA <laughs> <laughs> but, so let's, let's assume that Cisco DNA Center is out of the realm of someone wanting to practice it or... It's a company that can't afford it, whatever, whatever. Uh, what's your favorite automation tool? Because there's Antibol in there, and there's Puppet, there's Chef. What would you say is your favorite automation tool right now? You know, that's a great question. I, I really do like Ansible, and I, I do a little bit of salt and, and, and Chef, but for some reason to me, Ansible just seems like second nature almost because mm -hmm. it is, we're, we're 30 years into knowing what syntax and command line looks like from a, from a, from a CLI Cisco perspective. So when you get into Ansible, you're like, I, I could see what it's going to do. I mean, that's what I love about it. Ansible. Yeah. Like it's you, just so you could not know YAML you could not know anything about Ansible, but you can go, Oh yeah, I know what that's doing. That, that's what's right, pretty cool could, about right. it. Right. And, and now you might not. And, and I think that's also, you, you really bring up a good point. I think that's also important for the exam and some of the practice of the exam and these technologies is that, you might not be a Python wizard. I mean, I don't even consider myself a Python wizard, man. I can do some Python, but you don't have to be like Michelangelo and and drawing the Sistine Chapel with 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 Python. You just need to really understand what it's doing. And if there's something that's not right, understand kind of what you need to do to fix it and why. 
And the same thing applies for Ansible as well. Like you might not know what YAML means or, or why it's structured that way, but if you can look at it and say, okay, they're adding a VLAN with this IP address, they're doing a no shut. The rest of that stuff you can learn because really what a YAML file is doesn't change. Right. Right. The, right. the, the hardest part of all of that, believe it or not, a lot of a lot of folks think it's, it's the programmability, it's the automation tools. It's it's really what you want to do with those on the Cisco technology you're trying to work on or whatever mm -hmm. technology, because that syntax is what's unique to that platform, that device, that family of, of routers or switches or access points or whatever it may be. So you're, you're, it, it's kind of an interesting thing because really you, if you learn and understand what you're going to try to do with the device, the program languages and the things like that will fall into place. I, I totally agree with that. Um, and I, I know this, I'm, I'm going to ask you two questions real quick. So I know a lot of people are like, man, I see all these changes in the network engineering field. Does that mean I have to become a developer? Is that what I have to do now? And you kind of already answered it, but what would you say to someone who's scared? Maybe they, I, I know so many people, right, who start the career and maybe they, they started with programming and they just, they loathed it, they hated it. So they switched to network engineering and they found their happy place. Sure. And now the, From the, the script yeah. is being flipped again. So what would you tell someone like that? You know, one of the things I would say is that I was afraid of, it myself even until I started and let me show you something real quick bear with me brief moment brief all right moment. he's gone um hi guys I'm gonna stick right. some coffee while he's gone Here's how I overcame my fear now don't laugh at me everyone because I know I'm gonna age myself here but oh <laughs> basic now I'm gonna tell you a little story and but I will bring it back to the answer to that question. I first got this book at my best friend's house. Uh, this is copyrighted 1994. He bought it new. So yeah, probably 1994 when I actually got this book. Okay. Um, and the funny thing is, he was like, "You got to learn programming. You got to learn how to. We got to. I'm gonna show you DOS. I'm gonna show you Windows 3.1. I'm gonna show you all these Ooh. things." And then he's like, "I'm gonna show you QBasic." The extent I'm, I'm going to wager that 95% of the people watching right now have no idea what you're talking about. Right. I don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, but the funny thing is with, with QBasic, it's a programming language, which a lot of the same type of technologies that you use, techniques, if, then, else, go to, all that, it's all mm. in there. It's same C, it's Java, whatever, it's all the same stuff. What I mean by that is that he gave me this book, says, I want you to learn programming. And I had next to no interest in it, right? Then I started practicing and I programmed a circle and it was just with this big circle would show up. And then I figured out if then go to, then it was big circle, big circle, big circle. I was like, I was so excited. I created a circle <laughs> that would go back and forth and it was so cool. And then I found out that you can in invoke the PC speaker as a siren. Ooh. So it just went, whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> eventually, and it was the most exciting thing I created with QBasic. Now, though, by doing that, just getting started with something as silly as that sounds, you learn it. And you, mm. it takes the edge off of it, and it takes the fear away from it. I have behind me sitting over here, you probably can't see it, a couple Raspberry Pis. They're just the Model 3s. I know but nothing about those, yeah. <laughs> you, you are the Raspberry Pi wizard. We're going to have to get the sink in on this. But, again, I get these Raspberry Pis. They've been literally sitting here for two years. I have oh, not done anything. Those poor Dude, pies. It's a waste. Mm. It's such a waste. They have memory, POE, all this, injectors. It's great. Uh, they just sat there because I just haven't had a time to do anything with it. But 
I'm going to start doing things with programmability on those with my daughter mm. so I can start showing her. She's five. She'll be six in a week from today. Oh, perfect. Third. Yes. Oh, and congrats. Dude, thank you so much. And, and you know, she's the love of my life. And I'm going to try to see if I can help inspire her to do things that she wants to do using programmability. So the long-winded answer to that question is, instead of being afraid of it, just start. And just start at, and it's only start on stuff that's not necessarily just technology related so if you want to start on learning programmability or python you can do all kinds of different things without even touching anything from a networking perspective or if you're familiar with networking and maybe you want to use the knowledge that you know of networking stand and learn programmability developer.cisco.com yeah and i can tell you like that is the best way to learn like i did a few projects where um i was just using alexa to like add OSPF to my router and then remove it. Like just, just fun things like that using APIs. It's, it's so fun to do that. It really is. It would be so cool. And <laughs> see, I don't have Alexa, but I should get it just so I can say, all right, Alexa, bounce BGP when somebody else is on call. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Which is not really uh, that hard to do. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's really, crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Your IP BGP star soft in, wait, star soft, <laughs> just star. Like, oh no. Oh man. Yeah, that would be uh, yeah, devastating. Gonna, gonna do it the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness gracious! Now, um, I, as someone who starts DevNet, let's say they get the DevNet Associate, which you know it is a great foundational certification, but it only goes so far. Um, sure. Once they want to go further down the path, and let's say they're a, a diehard routing and switching guy, they have their CCNA routing and switching, they jump into DevNet, whatever, maybe they have their CCNP routing and switching. What would you say is the next step to become more involved with the uh, developer networking stuff. Yeah, for, for that, uh, especially with that kind of a background, uh, I would say look into doing the, obviously the technology core for the DevNet professional, and mm. then pick on one of the different core technologies or, or um, exams that you would like to focus on to get your CCNP or, or, or at that point your DevNet professional. Because, you know, you really, you're starting off by learning a bunch of different technologies. You already know routing and switching to a degree. You already have got your experience with all of that. And you've already gotten the basis of programmability from the DevNet Associate. The next step is to refine those skills on specific technologies that you could possibly get experience with. Um, one thing I will also bring up is you mentioned something that is a conversation that comes up quite a bit, uh, is that how how do folks get access to DNA Center, Cisco DNA Center? It's It's mm -hmm. really... It's not the cheapest thing, no. but using the DevNet Sandbox, like you mentioned, using uh, the dCloud Instant Labs that we have available, you can go online, spin yourself up an instance. You can even programmatically hit some of these things with APIs without having to worry about breaking anything, and it doesn't cost anything. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's DevNet amazing. Sandbox is still amazing to me. I can't believe you guys offered that because it's just it's a, a Cisco router, a CSR1000V, just out there open. Anyone can access it. You want to do an API call? Do it. It's so cool. Yeah, just, just hit it. And and that's the thing is, and I would say that if you're, if you're starting off and you want to learn that, the advice I would have is literally you can sit down on the DevNet website, pick one lab, and it might take you 30 minutes. Just carve out your, carve yourself out an hour, sit down, go through that lab, and do a couple of the API calls. Once you do that, all the mis the mystery is gone. Right? Mm -hmm. What is what does it do? How does it work? And there's no fear because what are you out an hour of your time? You don't even have to tell anybody yeah. you're doing it. Nobody's <laughs> gonna even know. It could be a secret. Um, but if you do it, <laughs> if you do do that, you will realize you'll come away from that realizing that is not as complicated as I thought it was. 
And when you start doing that, we've all, everybody who's watching this, I can guarantee you probably has spent quite a bit of time surfing the internet in their lifetime. Mm, they probably yeah, have. A little bit, yeah. They've probably gone to a couple websites. Once you start realizing that REST APIs are just HTTP calls and things of that nature, and you've already kind of been doing it for many, many years, and you just got to learn some of the structure, it really demystifies a lot of that. And then it's just going to be up to you to, you're limited by your imagination of how do I want to take these different devices or different platforms and get them to do something that I want them to do that they don't natively do. Yeah, it's what you're saying is so funny because yeah, if you're in IT for any amount of time but you never touch development, it's always that like you have that wall between you and them. Right. But when you when you look into it a little bit, when you kind of peek over, you realize, oh, I mean, I kind of already understood that. I didn't know it was called that. I didn't know you could do that with it, but I already understood most of that. That's pretty cool. Um, that's what I found with just not not becoming a developer, but getting into Cisco de, uh, DevNet stuff is that people who love Cisco CLI and all that will love the automation stuff. Yeah. It's, it, it to yeah. me, it's the same thing. Learning Linux, yeah. learning, that's the same thing to me. It's the same thing that, me, the same reasons I love CLI are the same reasons I love automation. So it's just, it and goes it's hand funny. in hand. It, it, yeah, exactly. And, and the, uh, what I think is so powerful about that is that it's not a far reach. And now, I should be clear on that. When we created these developer, or you know, certifications, or these DevNet certifications, the idea was we're bringing two different audiences together. If you're a network engineer wanting to learn about automation and programmability, here's your here's your path. If you're a developer and want to learn networking, we also have a path for you. Mm. I think traditionally in the past, if you were the network engineer or operator and you were in charge of all that and you learned programmability, you can kind of stand up and look over the wall and say, I can kind of get what those developers are doing. I, I, I get it. I, I understand that. And it seems like I could do that maybe. But the flip side was always really hard. If a developer stood up, you know, you've had these meetings with the different areas of the business and the developers stand there talking to a network engineer. And a lot of times they don't understand what the network engineer is doing because it's not 100% same, right? It's It's very... It's very, it's a just, it's a disparate path, so to speak. Totally. Uh, so you really have to learn a lot more from a technology perspective as a developer to be able to do some of the networking stuff. So we may, we try to make it easy with these new certifications by having the overlap, the 80-20 rule, where on the CCNA, there's 80% comp uh, networking, right? And 20% programmability and vice versa mm. for the dev associate, where it's 80% programmability and automation, 20% network fundamentals so we're not leaving you out out in the out in the, to pasture on your own <laughs> now I, I ask this question to different types of people and i like asking developers and network engineers do you think it's harder for a developer to learn more about networking or vice versa you kind of already answered it but i mean I, I, when, I, when i ask a developer they'll say oh it's it's so much harder for a, a network engineer to learn programming and then ask a network engineer they're going to say the opposite yeah it's weird it, it, you know and I, i've got we've talked to a lot of developers but the thing is that when you ask that question, a lot of times it depends on the context of how they're how they're or using it or if they're using it. Because if if for some reason you know the developer is sitting there and they have no real daily need to work on the network, it goes back to the how do I get experience? How do I get mm. exposure to that? I can't touch anything. And it's it, if you're coming from a software realm looking at hardware, you I mean think about how we used to have to do labs and everything. You you had to buy the equipment at the time, or yeah. you had to have something viral or CML, you had to have something spun up. And that that's an investment in time, knowledge, sometimes money and licensing and software. Otherwise, you have to buy the hardware, you're going online and you're buying the hardware, and you're trying to have something that you can program to. 
that's a huge, it's, it seems like a lot bigger of a lift than just being able to say, all right, as a network engineer, I'm going to go to developer.cisco.com and click on a couple things and I can, everything that I need is right in front of me from a tool set perspective. So I think the developers have it a little bit tougher than the network operators, but I think that we have a, a pretty good curriculum to get them to that point, if that makes mm, sense. It does, it does. Now, question from one of the, uh, the audience here, from Aaron Shannon. He said, were APIs already in use on the internet in the mid-90s? <sighs> I suppose we can, we, we, can, we can Google that right now, too, can't we? That's a Google question. But <laughs> I would almost think that there would be at some point, right? At some point, there would have had to have been, because even back in the day, I think what we call APIs now were software calls that were there for a long time. Now that we have, we've put a lot more structure to it by using REST and by using some of these different capabilities and right. being able to duplicate that type of outcome every single time and more structure and, and things of that nature. But I'm going to go with saying I think there, there was some form of software hook. It might not have been called an API, but I, I can almost be positive because I remember working in the 90s. <laughs> I remember working on certain equipment and certain things that had software hooks that you can get into. Um, now, granted, the authentication was probably horrible. Oh, <laughs> right? no. Clear Security text. Oh, yeah. Probably <laughs> bad. But they're, they're, I'm, I'm pretty confident there were software hooks, uh, a.k.a. APIs, in the 90s. Cool, cool, cool. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure there were. Yeah, it didn't become like too well known until we got rest which is the framework for apis and the, the rules we go by now um now let's switch gears a bit let's talk about sd wan that's kind of like a, a a huge buzzword now it, well, it's been a buzzword for a long time uh for someone who knows nothing about it what's your what's your 30 second elevator pitch on what it is <laughs> ready set go no pressure <laughs> okay um it is a software mechanism or design to allow you to manage and maintain your entire WAN. And essentially, the outcome of the whole thing is to protect the application experience. And I know that sounds so cheesy. Um, and I'm going to explain why. You should work why. for Cisco. I'm going to explain why. You, know? <laughs> you need Kool-Aid. Look at that. Here's Kool-Aid. comes with a special cup. It even says... Let's go on the cup. No, um, the, the funny thing about that is, is that uh, I, I get into you almost get into philosophical debates about what software defined anything means. And the truth of the matter is the only reason that we have a network at all is to do something over the top of it. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's yeah, the only that's reason it, yeah. that network exists is to do something for some sort of back in the day and Back in my day, oh man, you know when we're playing Doom <laughs> and Duke Nukem, and we had our LAN parties with our big computers we'd walk around with, old school. Remember BNC connections? Anyway, <laughs> that application was the game. That game was the only reason you're getting together to have a network, right? Uh, it could be Office 365, it could be WebEx, whatever it may be. You have an application that's important to you and your business or yourself personally. And you want that application to work to the best of its ability. And what software-defined WAN gives you is the ability to not only monitor the trans transit links, be able to look at cost. You can actually move applications back and forth between multiple different transports. You have load balancing. There's a million different things you can do all with software, which is new in the sense, and let me explain, <laughs> new in the sense that now you can do it without having to go through a bunch of crazy router tricks. And what do I mean by that, right? I mean, we all know. We all know about the 
the access list and forcing stuff over specific transports, but then it comes back up and it's still sending stuff off the suboptimal transport or any of these different things or using commodity internet links versus MPLS. It costs a lot of money. So folks are looking at it to reduce cost and things of that nature. And if I have a 200 meg link at home with a 10 meg uplink, that costs me $60 a month and I'm paying, I don't know, 1800 for a fractional <laughs> DS3 that's 20 meg. <laughs> Uh, that that when I first started out in IT, that was the biggest confusion. Like I'm like, why why are we paying like a million dollars for this little small thing over here? And I've got like I'm gaming at home. Like what's going on right. here? But this T1 is like way too expensive, man. Yeah. And it, it, you know, I would try to explain. It was like, well, what's a T1? Well, you know, a T1, you take a floppy disk, right? And, uh, and you, just, you just you just whip it. <laughs> <laughs> and when and when you whip it, that's about that is about the transmission speed of a T1. There, there you go. Uh, but <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> the, the truth of the matter is, you know, we we got by so long with very slow and and very small bandwidth links, and it was fine. But then what happened? We started doing more video. Video became the pervasive voice. So now we're video all the time instead of voice. Mm -hmm. Well, now we're doing video. That's cool. Well, now I want to manage all, all my devices in my house, my thermostat, my, my hopefully, God forbid, if you do have a connected fish tank or cash register that they're secured properly. Um, <laughs> but there's all these devices that you have to monitor and manage that were never there before. And well, they all impact the WAN. So how do you make sure that it works properly and you make sure that the rest of the environment is stable? So that's where that whole software-defined capability comes in. Gives you the ability to kind of control how, this, how the, the traffic flows over that application. So someone's asking a question like, um, it was uh, yeah, Red Miles here, one of my moderators here. He said, uh, what would be a good way to start playing around with SD-WAN in a corporate environment without messing up the current flow of traffic? Because like I'm, I'm assuming that they have a, a typical maybe uh, branch situation. They may be doing site-to-site uh, -site VPNs. What would a, tr a, a good way to just kind of like there's a bunch of vendors out there. Of course, there's only one sure. in your mind. I'm sure Cisco, sure. Cisco baby. Sure, <laughs> it's just us. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, but 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 the thing is, you know, that's a great question. And there's a couple ways to go about that. So there's ways to even deploy Cisco SD WAN where you can deploy it and you're monitoring, and you're just monitoring the applications. You're not taking any policy, you're not in, enacting any policy that's gonna cause any rerouting of traffic. So there's monitor mode, very much like ICE has monitor mode where ident identity services engine, you can mm -hmm. see what's going on. Same kind of concept. The other thing you can do, a lot of folks do, is they just spin up a couple branches. And if you're in a test lab, you just need an internet link and then you can plug in a, a C edge, a V edge, or any of the type of, of Cisco devices that you're running Cisco uh, SD-WAN on and instantiate it and just test it and practice without having to worry about it impacting anything. Now there, if you have multiple locations, you can even test having multiple different branches that just talk to each other and that don't break any of the other stuff, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You're tunneling. Yeah. Now another question here, and we, we kind of answered this on our last live stream. I think we our last one was with Keith Barker, I think. It's been a long time. Yeah. We were oh, talking about, I think the title was, Is MPLS Dead? And I got this question <laughs> just now. Uh, do you think MPLS will be completely replaced by SD-WAN? Probably not. I'm just going to be completely transparent. And the reason being is that service providers have spent a lot of money building out those core networks. And... We think about, we traditionally say MPLS, but I mean, really, you can transport anything you want over that. So if anything, I, I will see that'll be more integration with software-defined WAN 
I could see that, you know, just like we talked about before where you have tags, you know, SGTs or scalable group tags or whatever it might be, might interact. I, I see that there's going to be both for quite a long time. I mean, if MPLS goes away, it would have to be something so massive, such a new disrupting technology uh, that and even though MPL, uh, SD-WAN is very disruptive, it is a very disruptive technology, but you can still use it over the top of MPLS. So there's no real quick hit reason for service providers to just throw away their MPLS network because they could still carve you an, an internet over MPLS or they could still carve you some sort of transport mm. or point to point or anything you want. So they could still use that network to deliver the transport services. So, you know, and then there are, there are also government facilities that there are mandates in some of their, their uh, network policies that they have got to have a MPLS link, secured really? MPLS link. Yeah, there a lot of government can't wow. use the internet or cloud, which is weird, especially nowadays, right? You're thinking, well, we can't use cloud, but yet we we have our our iDevices or whatever device you might have that's constantly doing something. Everything's some form of fashion on the cloud, but when you're looking at some of these government facilities, some of the high-end banking um, defense contractors, they will uh, they will opt away from having some of those technologies to stick with just straight leased lines or MPLS. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I can definitely Not in every see. Case, but a lot of cases. Yeah, I've, I've definitely seen. Like, I mean, we've we've heard of government contracts being won by Azure and, and AWS fighting it and stuff. So the government's looking into cloud and, and starting to sure. embrace it. So I can see that as cloud becomes a more pervasive thing, then yeah, MPLS doesn't really make a lot of sense when your most of your infrastructure is in the cloud. SD WAN is going to sure. optimize that. Um, yeah. Now. SD WAN is kind of been a thing that people have been talking about for a long time. So most people have a passing understanding of it. I think what's new, even newer and more fresh, and people are like, I have no idea what this is, is SD Access. And I'm glad you brought the book up because I totally forgot about uh, you writing that. What is SD Access? Now, I just did a series on um, on the CCNA. I, I went over the, the network architectures going from the two-tier to three-tier, talked about data center, talked about WAN. Um, and, we, and I talked about just the basics of how we traditionally design things. What is SD Access? Because my audience will have familiar familiarity with a typical design, but SD Access is quite different. It's different, but I, I think it's, I guess, let me just say why I like it, right? And what SD, what is, it, what is it in general, right? So when you have a network and you're looking at a typical type of network, traditionally, like you mentioned, there's three-tier network architectures most of the time. You could still do two-tier collapse core or something mm -hmm. like that, or even a spine leaf kind of data center thing. But with, with SD access, it gives you a bunch of different things. So for example, you move to a routed access network. So you're losing spanning tree. Not that Ooh. anybody will miss spanning tree. <laughs> and I, I think I've even made this joke probably with you even in the past. Like, I don't know if you asked anybody when the last time they had a minor spanning tree meltdown was, uh, because it's usually never a minor thing. It's always categorically horrible. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was designed to do just that. It was the whole idea was to protect the network from loops. That was the whole reason it was there. But now we have gotten to the point where we need to be able to use all our bandwidth, be able to be more efficient in what we have. What that does is it gives us to be a routed, we have routed access. You can use things like Anycast now, where you can find a gateway out, the fastest gateway out to do the routing is like hot potato. It, it's, it changes the way that you go about designing and managing your network. And then ultimately, what does it really give you? It gives you host mobility. So no longer do you have to worry about being mapped or you know limited by an IP address. 
So Chuck's identity is Chuck's identity. And wherever Chuck goes, we can have policy follow that. It can give you the ability to follow from a policy perspective, the ability to follow from a routing perspective. And ultimately, if you if you wanted to think about it in a real good analogy that I like to use is the post office. It's just, mm-hmm. if you think about it like a post office, your network is a post office and you have something in there called a control plane node. The control plane node is the one that knows where all the addresses are. Where does Chuck live? I know Chuck lives at this house, this address, this is Chuck. Well, just like at home, if you just got up, got in your car and drove away, never never came back, you just moved, that's it, I'm out. And you move somewhere, but you didn't tell the post office. Where do you think your mail would be sent? Yeah, to the original address, yeah. Exactly. Useless to you because you're not there anymore, right? So the whole idea is now we have this concept of a control plane node without getting super deep into the weeds using Lisp, you know, being able to identify MAC addresses and identities and map them together. You can go wherever you want. And what will now, Lisp is, is kind of like ARP, and... right? It's just it's like ARP for SD yeah, access? Yeah, it's a database for, for IP to MAC bindings, and that's basically it. Where, where Locations. It's a location identifier. But, hmm. but what's neat about that is if you got up and just went off and took off, you can have the device automatically tell the control plane node or the post office that you moved. And now that you're over there, it'll automatically start sending your traffic, a.k.a. mail, to wherever you ended up without having to worry about your IP address. If it changed, you can keep a static IP and it'll still work. There's a million different ways to do this now because you're not bound to an IP address based on location. It's based on your identity and where you physically are. So that changes a lot of different things. So to bring this back home to maybe a, a traditional CCNA perspective, I'm looking at a switch. I got switch port access VLAN seven, uh, and I and I my computer's in there. I'm in that subnet, and I move to another another switch, and let's say it's switch port access VLAN eight, completely different subnet. But on SD access, yeah. that wouldn't matter. It would just change automatically. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you have to set that up. But yeah, that's the whole benefit and power of SD access is because if you move to a different VLAN. It makes no sense to suboptimally route your traffic back down to that place you used to be. So if you think about how spanning tree used to work, you'd have to follow the active path, and then you'd have to route everything back from the forwarding plane. And, well, Mm. you're not using this whole side of the network, or depending on how big your network is, that could be pretty costly. Oh, yeah. But now you just pick up and move wherever you want. How many times have you heard this one? I know you've heard this. Uh, yeah, I moved my printer and it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> yeah, too many times. Yeah, I, did, did you tell I us? Can't like, <laughs> print. I can't print. Uh huh. Well, that's, that's because it has a static IP address and you moved it to a different VLAN and it won't work unless you reconfigure that port, right? That mm-hmm. costs man hours, that costs time, that costs outage. So the whole idea now is you can pick that thing up and move it wherever you want as long as it's part of a fabric. It can essentially use Lisp and the locator service and essentially find out where it is and keep routing. So you have host mobility. You have policy. Yeah, you have policy that follows identity now. Those are the real powers of SD access. Man, okay. So so versus a traditional design, so we know uh, the three tier and then you, we more commonly I see more commonly the collapsed core where you got your 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 distribution layer it's acting as your core as well then your access layer uh, and then we have layer two there um, I've seen layer three be introduced but now we're talking about SD access where it's all layer three there's no layer two going with like it's all layer three devices all the switches are layer three it's all routed um, what kind of like a network hardware are we talking about does it have to be specialized if you were to like do SD access uh, so so yes but the good news is it's one of the reasons why I'm going to go back and tout on the U80P ASIC, which, by the way, I'll have to send you one of these. Okay. If I haven't already. 
<laughs> I've got from my good buddy Peter Jones uh, the UADP ASIC. So this ASIC is the chip that is in the 3650 to 3850. There is a newer version of it for the UADP ASIC that is in the 9300 series, the 9200, all the new Catalyst 9K series switches. Mm-hmm. Any device that has a UADP ASIC can be upgraded with software to go and have those features. So you can actually do SDA on a 3650 and a 3850, 9300, whatever. Really? The whole idea there, yeah, it's really cool and it's really fascinating because, especially for labs, everyone out there, if you're uh, if you're looking for devices, you can find 3650s for a relatively reasonable price. You can still do all the Wireshark stuff. You can still do all the 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 different um, SDA and and fabric enabled stuff that you need to do on those switches and devices as well. Um, but the reason I'm bringing that up is that you you now have the ability to do it across a multi- multitude of different platforms. And the reason that's important is it's really investment protection for the customers. So if we can keep innovating and keep being able to put out new versions of software that will in, instantiate new services or features without having to go out and run out and buy new devices every every couple of years, mm-hmm. that that provides longevity, but it also provides value for the customer to be able to do whatever it is that they need to do without having to essentially keep upgrading their network every couple of years. Oh, that's that's pretty cool. I like that a lot. Now, um, yeah, and I I have like a I don't know if I have those exact chips, but I definitely have a a, a bucket full of <laughs> Asics that I've received from Peter. <laughs> oh, He's always oh, handing those out like candy. <laughs> the new ones that I'm really trying to get him to give me. <laughs> oh <laughs> we'll yeah, see. yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> we'll see I'll if we get those. Top on the 9300. We don't need this. Pop. Oh yeah, I got a new necklace now. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, yeah, they'll be chasing you down. Um, yeah, I'll probably get a phone call on that one. <laughs> Now, with with SD access, you know, we're all used to the terms of VLANs and, and and all that stuff, but we're seeing that kind of be abstracted out. Do we think learning about VLANs and and, and, the, and those concepts are, are those going to kind of go away with SD access? Because you don't have to I, you don't have to think about VLANs when you're doing SD access. You you really don't on that because everything's layer three routed. Um, but for someone learning, and I think I think the other thing that and this is this is something that's important when we talk about candidates going for exams is that you have to understand the install base. Most folks out there already have networks that are running VLANs. They're running spanning tree. They're running three tier. Mm-hmm. They might be running two tier. So there's all this stuff that I think that there's no harm in learning that because for quite a long time, you're going to still need to know that when you go get a job somewhere because m- more than likely, more often than not, you're probably not going to walk directly into a new business that's just stone cold running software defined access right out of the gate. And Oh yeah, that's going to be rare. Graduate. Yeah. You can just going to be pretty rare. You're just going to graduate and like, ah, oh, they don't, they, they don't even have VLANs. I'm going to worry about learning any of that stuff. <laughs> so I, I would say you probably still have to learn it because it does conceptually help understanding segmentation in your network and, and virtualization techniques and things of that nature. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I also think that that goes back to kind of those certifications, which I think is pretty cool. Even even the CCNA now has SDA, as you just mentioned, mm-hmm. and SD-WAN and programmability. So as as those ratchet up, you're, you're going to end up by de facto learning it anyway, because you still have to learn it for the rest of the certification. Um, but I would also say you'd probably be good to learn those different technologies for a real-life scenario for how it works and, and ultimately uh, for your career. Yeah, I mean, I know for at least the next, I don't know, maybe 10, 15, maybe even 20 years, all the technology we use now and we know and love will still exist somewhere. Um, but eventually yeah. we're going to see things start to converge and change. I'm just curious when that might be. No one's going to know, but it's it's interesting yeah. that the, the, the 
the path we're taking now. I'm um, had a question. Hopefully from... not this year, though, because there's been too much this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like uh, villains are gone now out. too. Thanks a lot, 2020. Down like 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got a question about SDUN from uh, Miriam. He says, uh, "What about performance with SDUN? Is it better? Is it easier to future proof?" Um, Which I know is, is 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 kind of a loaded question because it depends on what the what you're using, right? <laughs> yeah. So so let me let me answer it in a couple different ways. Um, future proof, yes, and the reason being is you ultimately get granular control on how you want your applications and network to work. I mean, you can literally control resiliency, redundancy, failover, application performance, dropping of traffic, scavengering different things that might not be beneficial to you as a business. So. So for granularity and future-proofing, 100%. Um, the other side of that would be if you have MPLS and you're an MPLS, MPLS shop and you have two circuits and you want to be able to use it, you could still use those MPLS circuits and run software-defined WAN over the top of it. Mm -hmm. Or you can start looking at things like if you really want to talk about future-proofing, that's when you start evaluating, all right, well, let's put maybe MPLS or not MPLS, uh, software-defined WAN over the top of these MPLS circuits see how they perform. If you're getting decent performance, maybe that's when you start using it for capacity planning and things of that nature to say either I'm going to continue down this path with, with MPLS or I'm going to start to say, well, let me order that one one gig commodity internet link that might cost me only 150 bucks a month or 200 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to add a tunnel over the top of that and just incorporate it into the SD-WAN fold and just see how it works. Look at vManage monitor it to make sure it's working the way it's supposed to be working and see how the performance numbers look. And if you find that you're having better performance, which most of the time you probably would, if it's a stable internet connectivity link, that might be the, that might be the catalyst to say, no pun intended. Uh, that might be, that might be the, uh, <laughs> yeah, actually I got a that question about that. ISR, no, I'm just kidding. That might be the, the catalyst to, to get you to look at maybe leveraging that link and eventually getting rid of some of the MPLS or bringing in either a hybrid approach hybrid WAN or hybrid transport where you're MPLS and commodity internet, or you're seeing it a lot now, I'm a lot more progressive, internet, internet, just two different providers, make sure they don't have the same last mile and go on until the cows come home because you have so much <laughs> bandwidth and control over it, you can kind of do whatever you need to do. Yeah, I came yeah. from a shop, um, and this is before uh, SDUM was a thing. We were just rocking DMVPN and, and kind of uh, on the edge of uh, when IWAN came out. Yeah, we were we were all about saving money, so we would never invest in a PLS. It was all about getting that the internet circuit, whatever we can get, uh, the cheapest we could find, and getting two of them, like you say. And yeah, DMVPN is what we we're using, um, going IOAN when we could. And uh, I wish I had SD-WAN back then. We just didn't have it. Uh, we were doing some kind of other providers, like uh, I know Ariaka is another one of those big yeah. uh, providers now, um, and we were using them back in the day. But yeah, that's what we're seeing now more of is you can get those cheap internet links that. Are pretty good and they might go down every once in a while but if you got two of them and you got it monitored and and you got instant failover and all that kind of stuff you don't have much or to worry maybe, about. especially if you went double router too or dual router so it's it's funny because you had mentioned you'd mentioned some of these different boxes i remember having a box uh, back before i worked at cisco it was called a junction box hmm. and it was j-u-x-i-o-n i think it was Never junction box and what it was was it was a i mean this thing was lime green it was like the brightest yellowish lime green colored little metal box and you just plugged a pcmcia 
if aging myself again, <laughs> cellular card, cellular card in it, and it would give you two two routed Ethernet links. And from there, you can plug it in and use it as a cellular backhaul backup and route stuff to it, and it would take over the cellular network. So before we really had software-defined WAN, we were forcing stuff with some of these routing tricks to a cellular interface that would take you uh, out over the Internet. And then as we fast-forwarded, here we are doing uh, SD-WAN and, and stuff. I, I think... What, so what year was it when I first met you, when we were at Cisco Live? What year was it, 2017 oh, or 16? 2017, I think, yeah. Okay, so when we were hanging out that day and the, the, the normal cast of characters that we were with that day, that was the day I originally brought up the idea to do the SDA and SD-WAN book. Wow, okay. There, there, together, at, at Cisco Live. That's I, I was having that conversation while we were all hanging out at the... <laughs> That's that's how how long ago this thing was uh, thought about, you know, and even just thinking about that, trying to put that in perspective is like, that's been three, over three years, like three years. So it's like, wow, look Mm -hmm. what's happened in three years. I mean, a lot has changed in three years. And it's so weird because we're in it. So we're, you're always going, go, 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 go. And until you get something that makes you take a step back and really think about and understand where we are or where we were, it, it, you don't really realize that time goes that fast. So, I mean, SD-WAN three years ago was just, we just were thinking about what this Viptela thing was, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Viptela was the... You know, it's like, uh-huh. I'm, I remember competing against Viptela with IWAN. So, <laughs> um, and, and, and now I do Cisco SD-WAN. <laughs> What's Viptela? Yeah, it's gone. It's gone. It's <laughs> crazy. Um, no, I, side question. This is out of my own curiosity. Catalyst, um, it's eating everything. Why is everything catalyst now? <laughs> I, I think there's audio. You, are you breaking up or is it me? No, <laughs> um, uh, you know what? Honestly, I think what it basically boiled down to was similar to WebEx. You know, it was a, it was a brand recognition thing. And instead of, you know, continuing with Spark and WebEx, two t- separate things. It was like, why, you know, if you think about it from a cost perspective, you're you're paying for both of these brands to go global. I mean, you're oh, paying yeah. all this money. You're paying Brandy's all this expensive. Paying yeah. everybody. It's very expensive. So, but it's, if it's the same technology, why can't we just make it the same technology? And I think what, what happened there was routers aren't just routers anymore. I mean, that's the other thing that's huge. Switches aren't just switches. You know, now mm-hmm. a switch, a 9K, you can run an application. You can run applications, like right yeah. on a switch. Like you can run just Docker on a switch right now. Like that's want. insane. You yeah. Can containers, you can have any, you don't even need, sometimes you don't even need a router. You can just put your switch and that's it because it's a layer three routed device that has containers. It has, I mean, it's crazy. So back in the day when we were, when we were getting into this, I mean, the, the, the closest we had, there was something called a swouter. It was a switch router. <laughs> swouter. And it was a router that had a switch in it. And, that, and then you fast forward through the 3700 series, the 3800 series, the 4Ks, being able to have switch modules put into its integrated services router was called that specifically because you're integrating everything together. And now the fact that Catalyst can do everything directly right on a switch it was just kind of one of those things where I think they decided that everything should be under the Catalyst umbrella or portfolio um, name, just to just to duplicate 
a reduced duplication and uh, hopefully make a clearer path of simplicity of, look, it doesn't matter what one of these you get, you can do whatever you want to do. We just basically have to size it for you to make it appropriate. And I think that simplifying the, not even just the SKUs, but the, the sheer amount of stuff. Cisco is a very big company. We have a oh, lot yeah, of stuff. Yeah. And, and, and the, sometimes to our detriment, and the, and the reason there is that if you're that big, you have to you have to do whatever you have to do to help as many customers as you can. So mm-hmm. there you might appeal to all these customers. You might have all these features and, and only a subset use them. Or it might be you have all these features that have to be available in every single platform because that's what everybody's asking for. And from a customer's perspective, you notice that, like, for example, I joked around about, uh, I don't really joke, but the UADP ASIC and being able to have uh, value add and, and protect your investment. MPLS wasn't even a thing on a 3850. It, I remember when mm-hmm. 3850s came out and the biggest question everybody said is, where's my MPLS? Where's my MPLS? And because of this chip, they just dropped a software download that would instantiate, reprogram the chip and instantiate uh, MPLS. And there you go. Now you have MPLS. So I think mm. I think the fact that now everything's iOS XE, everything's programmable, everything uses API, everything uses APIs. Uh, it's just it's a simpler message, and I think that it gives customers the ability to say, you know, I can I can use this device for more than just one thing. You know, it's not this mm. is my router, this is my switch, this is my architecture, this is what makes my business run. And it could be Wi-Fi. You know, you Wi-Fi six. We have our wireless LAN. We have all these different capabilities. But it all kind of plays together as a functioning system versus disparate devices now. Yeah, it makes sense. And it definitely th- threw me for a loop when I first saw, when I first became aware of like when they uh, annihilated the Aeronet line and like, here's the Catalyst Wi-Fi device. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> Catalyst is a switch. And they're different. They're different. You know, obviously they're, and they're but they're different for a reason. I think, mm-hmm. I think, uh, yeah, it, it threw me back a little bit too. Cause I mean, I'm internal and you hear these things, you're like, well, the first thing you think of, uh, I put my customer hat and I'm like, what? Uh, why are you doing that? But, but but when you when you when you dig into the background on some of these things, it's it's really for the customers is to make it simpler and easier, and less confusing. Um, and it's it's also good for Cisco to be able to say we we've we're going forward in this direction. This is our this is our charter. This is our direction. This is what we're going to do. Awesome. Well, thanks for clearing that up. It, yeah. it does. It does help, yeah, it honestly. Does. Um, now, quick question from Hamed. Um, he's got a question about network programmability in the. I'll just read the question. He says, "Hey, Jason, we know that the network programmability may compromise the network stability. Um, being aware, being unaware of consequences. What is your advice to the network developers to avoid that? So, I'm guessing, like, you know, introducing code into the network may introduce inst- instability. Sure." Yeah, so that's a great question. One of the things that I, I, I talk with folks about is there's a couple things to do there. And and the reason a lot of times code, putting code on, on a network, whether it's, you know, pasting on a config in a, in a router or a switch can cause issues because if, if for some reason you didn't know shut that interface before you put that configuration on or you forgot to do a reload in and you changed something and you're locked out of the device now and you have to have somebody physically reboot it or any of these things, typical network engineering problems can can really rear their head. From a programmability perspective, there's some pieces, and I, and I say this, and I've probably been quoted saying this a thousand times, uh, but you can automate failure just as fast as you can automate success. Mm. And what I mean by That's that good. is if I go through there and I put in a, a batch of code that just says, you know, 
shut all these interfaces, change the password and reload in, I could seriously brick that device and lock myself out of it real easily. But you can also do it to a mass scale of thousands of devices as well. So really, there, there are things that you have to understand in learning part of programmability and automation gives you the understanding of, hey, you know what, it's just another method to log into that device. Whether it's command line, whether it's a console cable, whether you're webbing into it, you're using an API, you still are accessing these devices. And if you have the rights or the the administrative control, you can break it just as fast as you fixed it. So just kind of keep that in mind. I think obviously learning in a test lab, knowing there's things like continuous uh, innovation and continuous development when you're talking about CICD, testing things out and building workflows and streams to see what it will do in a production environment or a test lab environment before it actually gets committed understanding what the what the consequences are if i did push this so sometimes having that test bed or that lab to be able to do things in is is very very key that's a so great question that that's a great thing I, I i'm glad you brought up because um something i've been looking more into is git and uh cicd and, and, and keeping your code and that that uh that pipeline uh, with network engineers now, we're converting our configurations to code in a way. Uh, what does that look like for network engineers? Like, what does it look like to use Git? What does it look like to start programming or designing our network with this kind of methodology? You know, it's it's kind of interesting. Like from from a from a network engineering perspective, we've always uh, we've always had to go through what we call change requests or change control. You always have, for the most part. I mean. A majority of network engineers, if you're working on a network, <laughs> you probably have to put in some sort of ticket or something saying that you're going to change something in and what the expected and desired outcome would be. Like, okay, it's going to reboot that site because I'm upgrading the code or mm. I'm just going to push this change. It shouldn't impact anything whatsoever. And then be prepared for when it completely crashes and, and reboots with absolutely no config on it and you have to start all over again from scratch, right? There's there's been a, a control aspect of that that we've had forever from a network engineering perspective. And I think that follows or builds onto that when you're talking about pipelines and, and things of that nature, because it, it is a control mechanism to be able to see if there's going to be a change, if there's a revision to the code, what the outcome could be on the actual network or device itself. So you have that ability to do similar. So we're just putting it first because mm -hmm. you kind of have to have that change control pipeline and all of that built out first before you commit the code because you might blow something up or you, you want to see what's essentially going to happen in your environment first and all of that can be done in a test lab and prior to even pushing anything in production but i think the the method of thinking is that it's now backwards from what we used to do so now instead of putting in you know i guess it actually wouldn't even be backwards it would be the same right instead of putting in a change control and then waiting till it approved and then doing it you can now go and through and put in the configuration, the code, see how it's going to impact the environment before ever even committing it to production. So in a way, you're you're kind of doing that same thing, but it's more structured with software development. Mm, okay, okay. So how far, I mean, I know we can do it with some things like with, with SD access, all these programmability uh, things we have in store, uh, being able to test our code on the network to see how a network change might look and then deploy it. Um, how would you do that on like a traditional network that might just have routers and switches and firewalls that maybe aren't controlled by a centralized controller? Sure. Is there a way right now? And, and there is. And we've all, I'm sure some of the folks listening have heard of macros or being able to do scripting on, on devices or tickle or some of these other things that you can do on a network mm -hmm. device where you can essentially 
you can have a config and then have a rollback. There's a rollback configurations that you can have set up that if for some reason something doesn't work, it can roll back. Or I'm, I'm, I jokingly mentioned reload in. There's a command that you say reload in and an amount of time. So it might be reload mm -hmm. in five minutes. You make all your changes and all of a sudden you hit that. <laughs> We've all done it. We've all had that fucker factor where we hit the enter key and <laughs> nothing's coming back. Oh, no. Um, so if you did a reload in and hopefully you didn't hit right mem <laughs> yeah if you were if you did a reload in it would reboot to the configuration it was on there before now obviously we want to make sure we do proper hygiene as far as backing up the configs before we make any changes and things of that nature um and if you did hit right mem hopefully on the tftp server you had the configuration from before you hit right mem uh so you can <laughs> you can roll it back to the previous version but uh, you give me ptsd in both of those here man <laughs> i laugh because i've been there yep um <laughs> uh, but but at that point, I think that would help from a structure perspective is that you really would be able to test out and understand how that impacts your environment before even making that change. Cool, cool. Yeah, and that, that's interesting. Like, it's so funny because in a way, if you if you ran your network like you should, we've had this mentality for a while, just in, in kind of a backwards way, but we're finally adopting, I guess, proper procedures that software developers have been using for a long time. And right. it's, more, it's more streamlined. It's better. It really is better. Uh, and we didn't know it back then either, though. If we kn we would have known it, we probably would have been a little bit more proficient at the development cadence and, and how to do some of these different technologies. Right. Right. Exactly. Now, we're we're just over the hour mark here, so I don't want to keep you too long. But I want to hear, uh, Mr. Gooley, what has got you excited right now? What do you I mean, you finished three books this year. What's on the horizon for you? What What technology are you just super excited about? Obviously, uh, I need to figure out how to do some Raspberry Pi stuff, so we'll yes, talk about that. Yes. Um, uh, and, and you know, I think I think what really has me excited is you know, I'm going to be hopefully I'm able. I'll let the cat out of the bag a little bit, but Ooh. I uh, have put in to possibly do some some videos for Ian Core, so we'll Ooh. see. But it's going to be more obscure. Is, is that so the proper way to say it? Ian Core. Ian Core Enterprise Networking. Core, I don't know, EN Core, Encore, same thing. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll it, adopt to the proper phraseology. I just don't know. No, how to say no, it. I, I've heard, I've heard all of them, uh, Encore, EN Core, um, Enterprise Networking Core, but they're going to be a little bit more obscure videos. So, what are some of the things that you would let me let, let me flip it around? Let okay. me ask you a question on your own show. Oh, what uh -oh. do you think are some of the technologies on the EN Core that you think folks would struggle with that they would need to learn? Let's see. So coming from CCNA going to Encore, 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 uh, however you want to say it, um, I would say probably maybe EAGRP a little bit, going more advanced into BGP, and then um, the new automation concepts that weren't covered in the in the NA. Because uh, I know it goes heavier in the SD access. You don't have to know hands-on, yeah. but it does go heavier in the SD access. Those are some of the things I would look at. And I think wireless would probably be a big yeah. hurdle too. So some of the videos that I'm thinking about working on are the more obscure ones, such as the programmability automation, uh, looking at things like um, some of the different tools that are out there, some wireless, uh, but also looking at things like, uh, you know, exam techniques, things to learn, software-defined access 100%, software-defined WAN 100%, because these are all things that, for the most part, frankly, a year or so ago, I wouldn't say they didn't exist, but they didn't exist on the exam. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that 
some of the videos would be for some of the more obscure stuff like that. I wouldn't say obscure, but some of the newer, I, dare I say new, it's newer stuff that sometimes you might not have a lot of experience with. And, and where do you find a DNA center and how do you go about studying these different things and how can I spin up a vManage? And so all of that uh, is kind of what I'm excited about. I'm going to be, I'm hopefully going to be doing some of those pretty soon. Uh, the awesome. other thing I would say from a technology perspective is that um, I, I want to do more with some of the automation pieces around things outside of just networking. Oh, so yeah. So like, obviously there will still be networks involved, but you know, just, just random things. My, my, my brother is a big woodworker. He does a lot of woodworking and he builds all kinds of unique things, you know, uh, bottle stoppers to pens to whatever it might be. But I'm thinking about doing different things like, uh, building, you know, radios or different things that are made out of wood, but still our technology you can still use for um, programmability. So being able to do different things with your your home automation and lighting. And I, I have a buddy of mine that I went to his house and the guy works for a company called Onico. And Onico used to be a pioneer. So it's pioneer Onico. And I go to this guy's house and he said, turn on the cloud. And I'm like, What's this? Turn and on the cloud. Head, so you, you see you have the foam, the, the noise-canceling foam that you have back there uh -huh. on the wall. He has all this stuff that looks like big stalactites all over his ceiling, right? And he says, turn on the cloud, and there are lights, automation and lights, and it looks like it's thundering and raining up behind it. And Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. I told it's just <laughs> useless but super cool, right? You can automate uh -huh. it. <laughs> No, no. I, if my wife would let me, that'd be the first thing I do. Have you ever been to the Rainforest Cafe? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. When oh, they yeah. have like the thunderstorm <laughs> thing going on every hour, I'm like, honey, awesome. I want this in the house. Like, I love this. Can I do this? Will you let me? She, it's a hard no every time. I'm gonna keep asking her. Um, but yeah, that that idea is amazing. Different. Please do that. <laughs> different stuff. Like, I put a pond in in the backyard. I say pond, and I mean it's like four foot circle, dude. So it's like itty bitty. <laughs> it's like a little waterfall thing, just so I can have a place to go zen and chill out, you know. And but but to that effect, the sound effects and having like automation with music to you know have having meditation music and stuff play automatically and things of that nature. And and I just think some of that stuff would be really cool. And obviously, you know, I'm a big music nut. Oh um, yeah, yeah. You know, let's talk so, about that for a second. I, oh, we yeah. you didn't get a chance to uh, plug your metal DevOps. How's that going, by the way? I think it's going really well. What I think is really cool about it is that I'm starting to see a lot of different folks from all walks of life finally come together for things that we have in common, and that's that music and technology. And I've even I mean I've got an interview actually coming up uh, in a few days about a gentleman who created a horror movie. He's a director of a horror movie. I mean, how cool is that? It's not necessarily metal, but it uses a lot of technology. And I think what's neat is that when I first launched Metal DevOps, it was going to be a mixture of metal music and DevOps and technology and programmability. And it it, it just went out of control into the music side, which I thought was so cool. And it's a really positive thing. But I'm going to start actually pulling in some more different um, diverse guests to be able to talk about different things like building movies and and interesting writing scripts and and comic books and just random you know because in my mind it it it's it's still technology related there are things like i'm i'm working on and i'm i'm trying through my sure contact there my sure contact sure <laughs> um sure to try to talk to different artists because they use the sure wireless for all of their gear their in-ear monitors their stage their guitar their microphones everything's wireless 
and it uses the same type of technology that we use, Wi-Fi 6, different technologies like that. I would love to be able to have a conversation about how wireless is pervasive in a music environment. Oh, yeah. My, my brother-in-law, um, up until this year, he was a sound guy. He travels with bands. He's an audio engineer. And I was amazed yeah. to hear how much networking is involved with oh, just yeah. stage design and, 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 and concerts and all that. It's amazing. It's a whole different industry almost. It is. And you know what's fascinating? And I can't show you because it's actually on the back of my laptop. But Live Nation and Cisco partnered together. Mm. And we do a lot of stuff for, I mean, Justin Timberlake and and I'm uh, John a Blank and the other band, uh, Imagine Dragons and all these, these big bands, you know, that we do stuff. But it's all technology related, too. And they have pretty stout networks when they come and they perform and they, they have a lot of Cisco equipment in there. And I thought it was just the coolest thing. It was the marriage of Live Nation and Cisco, and then there was a sticker that came out of it. There was a Cisco logo with the little emoji of the the horns, and uh, <laughs> to me that was perfect. So that is that is the base of my whole laptop is just the little Cisco logo with the horns. Um, but it's just different, interesting aspects of life, and I think things that were be that could be beneficial and useful to folks. Um, getting my daughter into IT, you know much about that, right? Mm-hmm. And trying to get her spun up on things she loves to do, but find a unique way of doing it. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, it's available for everybody. And I think that's the other message that I wanted to push across is that I do a lot of stuff for giving back and I do a lot of philanthropy work. And, you know, between Cisco helping out with things, doing sleep outs for, for Covenant House and the homelessness, uh, to just giving back and, and trying to do volunteer volunteering of my time to help organizations with whatever it might be, the thought leadership or helping them with their network or even going to my wife's preschool because my wife is a preschool teacher and oh, volunteering mm, my man, time, bless to spend, her heart. you know, however many hours to do whatever it is, fix something in Excel, put an access point in, whatever it may be. <laughs> um, it's, 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 it's cool. And I, and I love to see more of that in the giving back aspect of what I can do with, with metal DevOps. So we'll That's see. Awesome. I hopefully, hopefully more will come out of that though. So where can people find you? Aha. Uh, so at Jason underscore Gooley on all social media platforms and then at Metal DevOps on all social media platforms. And then obviously the YouTube channel is Metal DevOps. Um, I am starting something new and I'm briefly oh. just did a, a contest uh, a couple of weeks ago about giving away some books, as you knew. And I appreciate the, the, the retweeting of that. Of course. I'm going to do that again. Uh, we were going to do it by Thanksgiving, but um, what we decided to do was a couple things, and I've now partnered up with a slew of different Cisco Press authors, so it's not going to be just Jason Gooley giving away books. It's going to be a whole metric ton of stuff coming in from Cisco Press, different authors, different folks, maybe even like yourself, if I can wink, wink, get get in, uh, get you in on some of that action. We'll see, uh, we'll see. Just yeah, give we'll away talk. stuff and, and, and help, help, especially in this gruesome time of need, right? I mean... Mm. Everybody's doing the same thing. Everybody's sitting at home. They want something to do. They want to learn. They want to challenge themselves. This is the best time to be doing these different giveaways and giving back. Amen. Um, and so that's that's coming really big. And, uh, and the other thing is that you know when we're when we're talking about videos, I wanted to start doing something for the more non-metalhead folks because I know there there are a little bit of both. Um, and so I created a network cha- a channel called the Network Developer. And it was it was one of those things that it, it kind of just came to me, and I haven't done anything yet. I, I used that as part of the contest to, to try to gain more more um, uh, visibility on it. But the thought process there is just for how do you how do you be a network engineer? How do you be a network developer? What does it even mean? And just having conversations, talks, guests, videos, different things like that, 
focusing strate you know, strategically on the network development process, programmability, automation, things of that nature, uh, not just metal. I am a diehard metal fan, and I would love to do it all <laughs> on there, but I think I think I might lose some of the audience on both of those, right? If, if I focus just on metal DevOps and did more metal and technology, I might lose some of the, the hardcore programmatic folks. So I'm going to... Yeah, you, you might want to like go see. like K-pop DevOps or, you know... K-pop DevOps, yeah. BTS for life. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, um, no, that's cool. Not though. That it's, there's it's anything so cool. wrong with BTS. No, no, BTS. I mean, they're always on the trending page on YouTube. They're doing something always. right. They're yeah. doing something better than I am. I tell you what. <laughs> Same here, man. If I can just, woo, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> so um, you're doing metal DevOps. You got all this cool stuff you're doing. Philanthropy. You're giving away stuff. It's awesome. Um, where was I going to go with this? Uh, so we talked about what you're excited about next, getting into automation, doing all these cool things. Any any new books on the horizon? Uh, oh, you can't say it, can't you? <laughs> I'm pretty sure, no, I'm going to say probably not. And the reason being, mm -hmm. at least not for uh, the foreseeable future, and the reason being is um, I, I, I did neglect a lot of the time that I wanted to spend with my wife and kids uh, doing some of that. And uh, it does take a toll on you. I mean, you, if you spend all that time behind a computer, at some point you have to be like, is there there's something else on the on the horizon outside of the computer? So and it's easy uh, to happen. Probably like, not. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Like you'll you'll get so heads down on what you're doing, and you, you honestly enjoy it, right? I mean, you wouldn't you be doing it. it otherwise. It's passion. You love it. And it's yeah. easy to forget what's around you. Yeah, I'm I'm right there yeah. with you. So I think I'm going to focus on videos for a while, uh, and I think from a couple different angles, obviously the Ian core stuff, I'm going to hopefully get that going. And then I'm looking at doing some of the more, like I said, network developer stuff, just career advice, programmability, just like a, just a straight talk kind of thing. And, and just be me. And that's, that's about all I can do. And uh, kind of just try to not overdo it too much. I think that's another thing that isn't talked about so much is that burnout is legitimately real. Oh yeah. Um, I was, I was, I was very close. I'm not going to lie. And I'm, and anybody out there who knows me knows I'm pretty honest about these things. And I was so burnt. I just didn't even want to do anything. I mean, you're sitting there, you're looking up, oh, I got to get up. I have to write four books. It was supposed to be a year and a half. And all of a sudden it's now four books in three months. And, you know, next thing you know, you're like, you're just gunning, 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 going, go nonstop. Um, so, but I learned, I learned from that. I learned, you know, we have to prioritize certain things and I love giving back. I love helping folks. Um, but, you you have to you have to prioritize what is important and and dare I say secure your own oxygen mask before you secure the person's next to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you're you're totally right. I mean, I, I think about that all the time because um, I, I I fall in the same trap. I mean, I, I I'm yeah. always trying to put new stuff out on the channel here, and it's it's easy to to overload yourself and 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 don't take care of yourself. So yeah, that, that that's a good message to get out. Um, I can't wait to see more of your stuff. Um, I will put every link you provide me in the description, guys. If you want to follow Jason Gooley, which if you want, you it's not a want, you should just go do it. Uh, go follow wherever he is. Um, now, as you're uh, you're you got two CCIEs, you've been doing the Cisco stuff for a minute. You 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 know how to how to kind of run things for people just starting out and they're starting their studying journey and they're trying to get motivated. Try to you know just kind of what we're talking about now like it's this year's yeah. been weird it's a weird time of year uh people are stuck at home they don't have much to do but they're maybe looking to change their careers i have so many career changes this year because of the situation yeah totally. what's your what's your best advice right now for studying and, and and getting getting in the grind my best advice would be to take the time for you and what i mean by that is that 
it might not necessarily mean be cracking open a book right away. It might be you know, that piano course that you wanted to do or you wanted to learn some sort of something. Do whatever you need to do for yourself first, but then also invest in yourself just like you would in a bank, right? Invest in yourself from a, a knowledge perspective. Definitely take the time to study. Now is a really good opportunity because there are so many deals out there. There are so many books that are available. We keep doing the book giveaways and things like that to encourage that type of thing. But also... Make sure you give enough time to yourself while you're studying, because that is the biggest advice I could offer is it's so easy to get down there and sit down with these books and you start cracking open these books that are this thick. And next thing you know, you've been down here for weeks and <laughs> you have this huge beard. And, uh, no, okay. <laughs> and that's how you do it. People ask me, how do you get that beard? Uh, yeah. Get this book over here. Yeah, this it's, right here. it's the big book. The, the Encore book by Jason Gooley. <laughs> that's exactly. how you get one. <laughs> See, I'm trying to get my, my, my beard out, but I, I just got to keep it low. It's just it's just one of those things for me. But but yeah, I, I would say now's a great time to study. Now's a great time to go for DevNet. Uh, now's a great time to go for any certification for that matter. And even if it's not certification, like I'm going to I'm going to show you a book. Hopefully it doesn't offend anybody. Oh, no uh, worries it is, here. It, it is uh, edited. <laughs> but I picked this book up. <laughs> A book about hope. <laughs> I love that. And if you haven't read the book called The Subtle Art of Not Giving It, <clears throat> yep, seen that's that, another yeah. book to take a look at. Uh, and, and I think when I say by invest in yourself, invest in time to do something that you interests you, that motivates you. And, and the one last thing that I will leave you with, this was actually from a training that we did at work. There's an XY axis, if anybody can see it. And here's what it says. Something you're good at versus something that energizes you. So on this side, it says, am I good at it? No or yes. And if it says, I'm good at it, yes, but it does not energize me. It says it weakens me and it's a weakness. Minimize your time here. Ah. And then it says, if I'm not good at it and it doesn't energize me, it's a derailleur, right? And then over here for development opportunity is something that energizes me that I'm not very good at. So in here, I have like piano, woodworking, improving on the drums, things like that. And then strength, something to do more, spend time with family, play the guitar, do karate, metal DevOps, right? Whatever it may be, this is simple as it seemed was so important to me to actually build out because I can literally sit back and look at this and be like, why am I doing that? Like, for example, um, I'm really good at writing books. I, I enjoy it. However, comma, uh, it's... <laughs> And it does not energize me. And, and uh, it, it energizes me at the end when it's done. And I could say, look, I actually did this. We helped out. But spending all that time at Starbucks till 10 o'clock at night on a wooden chair trying to write a book, it, it's not the probably the most healthy. <laughs> no, no. Because so yeah, guys in beards will hack you there, too. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very dangerous place, Starbucks. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, it's terrible. Like, all of a sudden, I'm like, what is that noise? And then it's my computer on fire because, because Chuck hacked me. Um, but, but I mean, that's kind of the whole point, right? Is is I think my theme for now is, is essentially do what makes you happy and energize yourself and feel good about it. And then you have enough energy and strength to do any of the other things like studying will come anyway, because if that's something you're passionate about, but you have to give yourself enough time and energy to be relaxed enough to adopt it, because otherwise you'll just be sitting at that book like, oh, I don't know. Uh, uh, and it becomes a chore. And the second studying becomes a chore. Mm. It's no fun anymore. There's no fun anymore.
So what's your advice? Because obviously there's there's parts of studying, like in the CCNA, there's maybe parts that are not so interesting, like learning the theory behind something. I mean, it's, it's always fun to lab, lab up OSPF, lab up spanning tree, whatever, as, as long as it's still here. Um, but then you have to get to the points where you have to learn theory, you have to learn how to do like cable stuff, like all the different cabling uh, uh, things. How, what do you do when you get to that? How do you just stick stick with it? So, so some of the things I, I try to gamify things. If it's something that's not interesting to me, I try to gamify it in a way that I can try to make it stick where it's fun to learn. So like if making cables, like I can only say orange, white, orange, green, blue, blue, green, brown, brown so many times, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like I've been making cables since I was probably 10 years old. You know what I mean? My dad was in the military, but he was also a phone guy. And then there was cat five and I was doing, I was doing two pair. I was all kinds of fun stuff. Right. But make it fun. So maybe do it with a family member. Get together with your friends. Like, for example, there's a really good friend of mine now who, who believe it or not, he's decided that he's going into IT. All right. And he's, he's had a passion for it. He went to high school for it. Absolutely loved it. And ended up becoming an over-the-road trucker for the longest time. And now he's like, I, I want to do this. Uh, and he's using, he's using some of uh, CBT Nugget stuff as well. And he hit me up one day and he's like, dude, I want to learn A plus and I want to go get my A plus and I want to go through and figure out what I can do to, to get an IT. So I'm like, all right, well, come over Saturday at 1 p.m. And he's, he's like, okay. So he comes over Saturday at 1 p.m. Little did he know, I, uh, I had a, I've taken over a lot of go to, go to market for wireless for Cisco, uh, for EN now. And I had to build a wireless lab, two brand new 9800 series controllers and six 9120s and all Ooh. this stuff. And and he's sitting there and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, we're going to build a wireless lab. And <laughs> but, but, but he's looking at me like, what are you talking about? And the whole whole purpose of it was to make it fun and interesting for him. So he had to learn cabling. I helped him make a cable. He made, and then he was making his own cables. I'm like, all right, well, I need, I need a cable and I need it to be straight through. What color code would that be? And I'm pop quizzing him and stuff like that. And he's like, okay. And well, I remember from the, from the CBT, it has this and that. And next thing you know, we're in there troubleshooting wireless issues. And he's like, well, what about this, this, and this? And I'm like, man, wait a minute, man, get out of here, man. Like, wait a minute. How did you know that? He doesn't um, know how lucky he is. My gosh, that's amazing. Oh. It's crazy. And, and, and he's, he's, he's been a friend of mine for dang near my whole life. And it's just one of those things where, um, you know, if you have the ability and the method to help somebody along, to make their life different and better, even in the smallest of ways. Is there really an excuse not to do it? Mm. I mean, it's tough, man. I mean, I get burnout going back to that, but if it's something that that will benefit that person for hopefully the rest of their lives, I'm all in it, man. And that's why you see me out there all the time asking people how they're going on their certification journey, what they're, what, what do they plan on doing next? And I might not even know who you are, but it's interesting to me to figure out what you want to do next. And if there's anything I can do in the meantime to help, shoot me a message and I'll do whatever I can. And that's, that's great advice. I mean, all you guys watching right now, um, whether you're just starting out or whether you've been doing IT for like five, six years, how, whatever, 20 years, 30 years, you've got something to offer for people. People right now are trying to get into IT. They're trying to stay motivated. They're maybe going through a hard time. Get involved in the community. You do have something to offer. And like Jason said, like it's it's not a whole lot just to offer a little bit of help, a little bit of advice. Every one of you have something to lend to somebody, something to 
give back to someone. So jump into a community, join something, join my Discord server, jump on Twitter, whatever. You can help out in a million ways and just do one thing a day. I don't know. It's something simple. Yeah, yeah. that's great advice. I mean, what one thing I do say is that I, I reply to all of my LinkedIn messages. And wow. except the ones that say, hey, do you want PNP? Do you want... <laughs> 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 well, no, I, you know, I don't block, well, but I'll, <laughs> well, you guys heard that. Uh, Jason, um, he, he'll reply to every LinkedIn message. So go, go message him right now. <laughs> message me. I will reply. Um, it might take a little while, but I will reply. And and as long as it's not something obtuse, like I've had a couple in the last couple of weeks that were um, get me a job, and then another one was give me a scholarship, and I'm like how am I supposed to give you a scholarship? Yeah. Um, yeah. You can have to apply for a job and then maybe then the college or something will give you a scholarship. But if it's, if it's something I can actually help with for sure. And, uh, and, and, and please don't come to me asking for dumps. Heaven <laughs> 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 forbid you do that. Uh. And, and for those of you who have no idea what that is and, and the connotation of that word might be kind of weird exam dumps. It's a way to cheat on exams. That's a big no, no. Don't you go Googling that. Don't even think about it. It's cheating yourself. That's stupid. Um, anyways, <laughs> thanks, Jason, for coming on. My wife's texting me saying, hey, it's time to end the stream. You've been up here too long. I heard um, about and dinner, <laughs> And dinner's ready. Um, so, dude, thank you so much for coming on. Again, guys, if you want to follow Jason anywhere, I've got the links below. If you want to check out his books, which, I mean, he writes the books for Encore, SD Access, SD WAN, DevNet Associate. Um, he, he's the guy, along with a few other people, but... In my mind, he's the guy. So anyways, <laughs> uh, Jason, we'll definitely have to have you back on. And I can't wait to see what you do with the uh, the developer or the, the network developer. And then, of course, Metal yeah. DevOps and all the cool stuff you're working on. Yeah, I think we covered it all. Thanks for coming on, man. Dude. I appreciate it. Thanks again for having me. Thank you all out there. And we'll, we'll see you all soon. Absolutely. Catch you guys next time. See you.